recording. So, uh, good afternoon, Uma. Um, really good to see you. Yeah. Um, boy, it's been a long time since we've seen each other. In, I mean, I know this is sort of in person, but like actually, um, you know, in the same room. Um, but I have a, I have a very strong memory of, of the first time we met, um, which was in the Dark Horse Cafe on Spadina. Spadina. I think in the back room uh, <laughs> makes it out, sound a little shady, but um, you you were still in the middle, I think, middle or toward the end maybe of your master's program there in the Strategic Foresight and Innovation Program. Um, and I know that you'd come into that program having worked in human resources in the financial industry and one yeah. of the folks. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how it is that you found your way from that work into this kind of quite new at the time program and what yeah. won you to it, what you hoped for it and yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that I, I think I had entered that program. It was in the second cohort um, of, oh, wow. of that program. And I remember when I first heard of it, it was it was mind blowing in the sense that you mean you could study all these creative things and bring together all these disciplines and uh, you know coming from a from uh, working in human resources in um, at the banks um, everything was just very rigid you know um, there was there was not a lot of room for creativity and you had to abide by culture and and that sort of thing. Um, so I had been doing um, DEI work um, for uh, one of the major banks uh, in Canada, and um, I, it, it was good work. I mean, I was learning a lot um, about DEI and you know the whole idea of equity um, and uh, bringing along marginalized groups. Um, but you know, I felt after a while the way the work was going was that you would identify a difference in someone and you would design a program for that person or or that group of people and i just felt like there were so many differences or or aspects of diversity mm -hmm. what are you going to design a program for each one of those and i didn't feel that it was very sustainable and i i think i suffered a bit of diversity fatigue and mm -hmm. i couldn't I, I didn't enjoy going to work. I, I felt mm. like it was a chore. And then um, when I discovered um, the masters of um, design and strategic foresight and innovation, I remember like, wow, this is something I really, really want to do. And um, uh, I didn't think I would get in, um, but I remember writing my expression of interest um, and saying that, um this you know the old way of doing dei work uh, is not sustainable i feel like we need to move to a, a new model where we leverage the diversity of thought mm. and in this uh in this program there were um there were so many ways that um you know using design research methods that you could actually derive that from various groups of people and i remember that being my um my statement of interest to to advance dei using right. different methods right. um and i didn't think i was going to get in but i did and and i was really really happy um 
so so of course when i started that program you know it opened up a whole um a bunch of tools for me like systems thinking and futures thinking and um of course design research methods and i, I had a, an opportunity to do a whole bunch of uh, projects um and internships um mm -hmm. and and um and that's i think that's when where we met because it was i think when we did meet it was almost as if um i i there was just you you were just diverging with all this information yeah. so i kind of needed some help in in converging because i think i was at that time trying to figure out what what i should focus on in my research project and i think that's where you you played a big role yeah yeah so uh, uh here here's a thought i mean i i, re I remember that i remember you having a sense of overwhelm yes. uh, also a sense of you know so much sort of spectrum of potential so much that was interesting and like you know where where to go with all that yes. um yes. you know now that you've been out for uh, quite a while uh looking back um what do you think what do you think the tools or perspectives that you acquired from from that work um what do you think the sharpest kind of tools of the toolkit have turned out to be uh what what do you most value when you, when yeah. you think on, yeah. on on your chance to do that work and and what what you've been able to carry forward into the work you do today yeah um so a couple things i think um all the whole um realm of systems thinking yeah. and looking at it um from relationships between stakeholders i think um that has stuck with me and still serves me well in my role today yeah. um and um the the other thing is um the the interdisciplinary nature um of of looking at a problem from a you know, an interdisciplinary perspective. I think that has has served me well um, in the sense that I still use that now. I mean, um, I'm in healthcare now, and um, even when I'm designing a DEI strategy or an initiative, I, I always look at, you know, the, um, uh, the social aspect of whom, who I'm designing for, the technology, you know, um, yep the economics uh that sort of thing it's it's um i cannot think in silos anymore <laughs> right mm -hmm. yeah so yeah. I think that is that's pretty and i know yes yeah for sure and i know that um again back when you started thinking about going back into the work workplace um you weren't thinking um, of going back to human resources and and DEI work, and and I don't think you did right away. But you you've ended up working in healthcare and yes. and in in a really interesting healthcare milieu, um, in which um, those things have come alive in in perhaps some some unexpected but also really interesting ways. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about the work you're doing and um you know where where you have found um you know the challenges and opportunities of that work meeting the toolkit um and sort of you know some some of the the ways in which you've been bring that bring bring those tools to bear um yeah that have been sort of most interesting to you 
Yeah. Um, so I think, um, so I hadn't really planned to come back to DEI work, but I think it was um, there when the George Floyd incident happened. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was the discovery of the unmarked Indigenous graves. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, um, there was uh, there was the Islamophobic event of the mowing down of that uh, family in London. Right. Um, I just felt like that point in time, um, it was it was somewhat of a calling that I needed to come back. And my intention uh, when I left the bank um, to do DI work, it was going to do this program and dabbling in you know some consulting projects. But then when those events happened, it reminded me that I needed to get back to it and apply those tools to 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 DI work. And um, I was fortunate in that uh, the um, there was this role at a, at a hospital in the Waterloo region, mm -hmm. um, and um, it was it was in it, at, at such a time where um, you know I had been doing DI work in Toronto, and Toronto had been getting diverse over a long period of time. So people were very much immersed in it. Well, in the Kitchener Waterloo region, they're becoming diverse almost overnight. Mm. Um, so there was such a need for this type of work. Um, and the hospital had recognized that need and the staff already had an appetite for this work. They were hungry for it. So it created a perfect storm. Um, so when I did come back, I did have the support that probably traditional DEI practitioners would not have had. Um, yeah. so, so it was it was good. And, and um, because I had had such a strategic background in the SFI program at OCAD, um, I knew what it is I wanted to do in terms of, uh, you know, um, looking at DEI from a leadership perspective, from an employee perspective, from, um, you know, management and all the different policies and procedures, but also doing DEI in terms of the, um, the business of the organization, which was healthcare. Yep. So and and um, I had learned from a very long time ago when I first started DEI work that is really what makes it successful and su sustainable. Like you have to apply it at all these different levels, and and that's how we built the strategy um, for DEI. And um, it's been almost two years, um, and um, I feel like. I have made progress. In fact, I was looking back at some of the measures of success, um, and and I think we've we've you know like at the hospital we've now created three employee resource groups when two years ago there was none. Um, mm. Do we now have a health equity framework, um, which would look after, um, which would would guide the hospital in terms of caring for um, equity deserving groups who yep. have experienced um, racism and discrimination traditionally yep. in hospitals. Um, and, and there is now an approach to do that. Um, we've, we've reviewed all our HR policies and you know, are currently revamping them. Um, I'm, current, I'm currently designing inclusive leadership um, education for our leaders. Um, so, so I feel like that strategic um, uh, 
grounding that I had gotten through the SFI program and, you know, has really helped here. Yep. Um, and, and with DEI, you can't really take your, your um, foot off the pedal. Like it has to be on the radar all the time. Um, and um, it, it is, it, you know, it, it is something that can really set your organization up for success especially in the Waterloo region. And I'll tell you a little bit about why. Um, the, um, the growth rate, the population growth rate in, in Canada and in Ontario is like approximately 5% over the, the past, since, um, since uh, the past two census, when, when they did the census. The growth rate in the Waterloo region is 10%. It's double. Wow. And 55% of that growth rate is due to immigration. Mm -hmm. So, as I said, it's we're becoming increasingly diverse overnight. Yep. And, and the region is also a, a resettlement um, community for refugees, one mm -hmm. out of 40, I think, in Canada. So, so there is a high proportion of uh, refugees in this community. Um, and, you know, you may not know, but well, you may know immigrants come to Canada with with you know pretty good health, but after a period of time, their health declines. Yep. Um, and well, refugee um, uh, refugees coming to 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 Canada, they are coming with uh, particular health concerns. So it has a significant impact on healthcare. Yep. Um, and uh, I, I'm I'm just really grateful that I got that grounding at uh, at OCAD and that program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me, um, I mean, you know, what are some of the ways in which uh, the the environment, the the hospital environment you're in, has changed or had to change and adapt? Um, you know, because it's serving uh, a different a different population, a population that's changing. Um, a population with different understandings, different uh, history, traditions, different experience mm -hmm. of, of, of health and health care. Um, yeah. and, and maybe, you know, if, if, if this makes sense, um, ways in which that experience of, of change um, has introduced new kinds of strength into the, in, into the service care model uh, in a more holistic way. Yeah. Um, so I'll just so in the Waterloo region and where we're we're on um, in terms of indig the indigenous population, there mm -hmm. is no reserve. We're on the Haldeman tract um, and, and a, a huge proportion of the indigenous uh, population here. They're urban indigenous uh, mm -hmm. people. Um, but there is a, there is a huge population of indigenous people here. I mean, while the census says it's like ten thousand, the community actually estimates it's probably around forty thousand. Mm. Um, and um, uh, you know, uh, in, in terms of um, one of the ways that we've had to do things differently, um, when I was at the bank, uh, we would have looked at the indigenous population as just another equity. Um, deserving group. Yep. Whereas here, after considerable um, engagement with the community, and I have to be honest, I was not the one that did a lot of that because uh, through the cancer center at the hospital here, mm -hmm. um, 
there have been people that have been doing that for a very long time. And it takes a long time to build relationships and, uh, you know, strong relationships with community. Um, and what we've heard is that um, that the indigenous uh, population is not a cultural group. They were the first peoples of Canada. Mm -hmm. And any work that is done um, on truth and reconciliation, truth and reconciliation needs to be separate and distinct from other DEI efforts. So um, we actually have a separate work stream for truth and mm -hmm. reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And um, that has been, um, you know, if you, if you were to talk about decolonization, maybe that's probably we are no way decolonized that we still operate within an institution and and whatever but but being able to trust community and mm -hmm. listen to what it is is meaningful for them and what makes sense for them um it you know it initially was a bit uncomfortable i have to admit as a dei person coming in and hearing this and you know saying we need to do things differently mm -hmm. well you know, we being able to communicate that and, and with the support of community and having supportive leadership who would listen, um, I, I felt that um, that we now have a separate work stream with separate resources towards truth and reconciliation. And um, I don't think many, I think we were, we were um, one of the five hospitals in Ontario that took that approach. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the whole, um, I think it's really important that as you're doing work for equity deserving groups, it's important to engage and also to listen, but also to trust that they know uh, what is right for them. Mm -hmm. And in a way you're, um, you're giving up some of your power, right? And I, I also harken back to when I was doing systems thinking work, um, a, a, a system functions functions most efficiently when the power is distributed and you you know each stakeholder is able to make decisions and have almost like similar influence and other stakeholders in the system and when there is a free flowing of information that's yep. when it functions the best yep. so the same way in doing dei work it's about sharing power yeah. When um, when I came and I started um, um, formalized employee resource groups, um, you know, I remember uh, some folks were saying, you know, well, what if they want to do this? And, and, you know, the answer to that is, well, what if they want to do that? We need to trust that that is what is best for them. So, um, you know, our employee resource groups, we we gave them a budget. Um, we pay for their time when they're not uh if if they're not on shift we actually pay them because they're actually doing work for the mm -hmm. hospital so that's mm -hmm. that's a different way of thinking compared to how it was done before and it's about amplifying their voice and giving them power to do what's best and you know today is the start of black history month yep. um uh, our employee resource group, our Black employee resource group, they, um, they, this is the first time the hospital raised the Pan African flag, um, and um, they organized it, um, and it, it was pretty amazing. It was, I, I was really happy to be a part of that. Yeah. I'm so sure. sharing of power, I, I think, is 
is key. And and you know, Michael, um, I have to, uh, you know, I was I was reflecting on the word. I know we're probably not going there, but you know, your project Oslo for AI. Yes. Um, in a way, that's what you're doing because you're saying that conversations about AI does not necessarily need to be with the um, with the elite elite yeah. or those that have the knowledge. You're, you're finding a way to demo democratize that conversation amongst people and making it accessible so that everyone could participate. So I was reflecting on that today and I wanted to tell you that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, I think I think one of the ways in which I think about it, which which, you know, I appreciate you bringing it up you know, very much the way in which you are taking uh, or have been working within uh, a healthcare model that was built with, uh, you know, the assumptions of a dominant culture, um, which, which you know, in some ways doesn't intend to be biased against, mm -hmm. uh, against marginalized um, and equity deserving groups. Um, but it works out that way. Um, and it works out that way for a variety of reasons, including, you know, um, a, a, a confidence in the rightness of its model uh, and there only being one right model, mm -hmm. right, scientific model, um, as if that has no history, as if that has no culture. Um, and, uh, and on the other hand, that, um, that there's no need to adapt um, the practice uh, of, uh, you know, the many practices of healthcare um, to be sensitive to the way in which um, different people's needs are just that different. Um, yes. And, and you know, you've, you've described ways in which uh, some of the work that the hospital has done to change is by being more inclusive um, and being more adaptive mm -hmm. uh, and attentive to um, difference um, of, of all kinds. And, and, and so, I mean, you know, Oslo for AI very much has the starting point that there's um, already a very dominant culture um, framing of the conversation about what AI is, what it could be, what it should be, how it should work, who gets to decide. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for most of us, who particularly the, those of us who stand outside the systems of power, like companies that are making AI, um, you know, uh, institutionalized organizations in government, et cetera, who are, who are at least in theory empowered to make decisions, um, about certain uh, certain aspects of how it will affect uh, the public, um, and and you know uh, the concern I started to have was how do you know how how do the rest of us participate, um, yeah. particularly people who are already historically disadvantaged from all kinds of participation and inclusion in political life um, in other forms of power to mm -hmm. you know, to go back to what you were saying. And so very much, you know, at the center of the project is, you know, what I call creating new new possibilities for participation. Absolutely. Um, and, and so, you know, for sure, there are all kinds of things that are going on, will continue to go on um, in, in the way that they, in, in the way that they will, um, but there's an opportunity for us um, to have a different kind of conversation, not to, 
remove ourselves from the dominant conversation, um, but, but to prepare, um, you know, uh, uh, ourselves to to participate in that conversation uh, while first um, having a more reflective and a more pluralistic uh, conversation with each other about um, about how we're all experiencing this big change, um, what we want or may want from it, uh, what it might make possible, yes. um, and um, and so um, I think I think the uh, one of the things that you mentioned earlier that certainly resonated for me was um, having moved from a certain kind of conception of AI that was sort of very much structured by human resources organizations in, in a bank as you then were working um, and and coming into um, you know an enlarged sense of of what diversity is and why it's important and you, you made reference to diversity of thought mm -hmm. uh, and and I was curious you know maybe you had more to say about that um, and and how it's shown up in your work as being relevant because I, I certainly think that that diversity of thought um, it, it is part of what we're aiming at in in the Oslo for AF project as well, um, where we want to create the possibility or or take advantage of the fact that that diversity of thought may give us new ways of dealing with and confronting complexity um, that in many cases we're perhaps not dealing with so well. Yeah. Um, so. Uh you know, the way we try to, I have to say, like at the hospital, um, we do try to do engagement with patients as much as possible um, through our patient engagement. Um, there are these things called PFACs, P patient and family advisor committees. Mm -hmm. um, we have our, uh, our employee resource groups, you know, who bring uh, the, the lived experience, right, of, of uh, you know, um, the mar marginalized groups. Um, They're like the bridge to the community. Um, we're always trying to um, to engage. Um, in the region right now, there is going to be, um, there is going, they're in the process of building a new hospital 10 years, 10 years yep. out to meet yep. the, the demand, right? And um, there, as you can imagine, there is a lot of engagement that needs to happen, you know, in terms of what's going to work for the community, what um, what are we missing, how do we ensure we have, you know, the human human resources we need, how, how do we ensure we have the services that we need, you know, looking at, uh, you know, the region and what other services are there and how do we ensure that we have the right services to meet this growing population with specific needs. Um, and um, in terms of, you know, leveraging that diversity of thought, there is a lot of engagement and mm -hmm. it's it's um, it's it's um, it's great to go out and, and, you know, invite a whole bunch of people to come and engage and answer specific questions to those you know, to provide the answers that we want. But, you know, there is a there is there there has to be a great effort to make it accessible and to make um, make it inclusive, right? You can you can invite people um, to come, but if you if you do if you do it like in the middle of the day, people are not going to come because they're they're working. So those are the kinds of things that you need to pay attention. What are what do you need? How do you design an inclusive engagement? Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and that is the only way that you're going to really leverage that diversity of thought. If you're inviting, um, you know, people who are um, from marginalized groups and, and they're, they aren't able to come or they, they don't have transportation or they, you know, with, a disability. You have to take all of that into account. And then when they do come, you know, you can't have um, the dominant group speaking, you know, and, and not, um, not giving others a chance. Like you have to make a real effort to create that psychological safety for right. people to speak up um, and make a point of, of telling them that you're, you know, you're creating a safe space for them to speak. And if they don't speak it, you make it a point of asking them to speak. So the whole idea of creating that inclusive space and creating that psychological safety, um, the language that you use, that is an art in itself. And that's some of the things that um, as, as a DEI person, um, that I've tried to influence with communications, along with my other colleagues who are responsible for health equity. Um, yep. Because because what's the point in, in investing a whole uh, set of money in engagements and you don't you don't leverage that diversity of thought. So it's really important to to create that safe space and make it inclusive so that people are able to participate. Um, and, and, you know, a, a simple thing like um, wh whether you invite people to come, that's one thing. But there are some communities that prefer you go out to them. The indigenous community is one where you, you, you go out to them. So you need to be aware of what is good engagement and, and um, you know, whether you're going to inform or whether you're going to collaborate or whether you're going to co-design. So there are different levels and your methods need to reflect that. Right. Ideally, co-designing is the best way because it's the message you're sending is that what you have to say is important. And, and, and we are going to take that into account and we're going to co-design a solution together. Whereas, right. you know, if you invite them to a town hall and you have the dominant group speaking all the time, then you're just informing and you're basically telling them, yes, we're ticking a box. You're here. That's it. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things that, that you make me think about again, knowing a little about um, healthcare that um, and, and scientific medicine as contrasted with um, traditional medicine, indigenous, uh, in, indigenous medicine, um, indigenous wisdom, and the contrast between, um, you know, other ways of knowing, particularly, particularly also the contrast between knowledge and wisdom. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, in scientific medical healthcare, um, there is this, you know, one of the expressions of the, the dominant culture is that medical doctors, you know, know what's wrong and how to fix it yes. um, and don't always attend to, um, you know, other ways of understanding what health and well-being are and, yes. and how those are understood in different cultures. And I was having a, a thought today um, about, 
you know, an analogous situation in AI as I was listening to a video of, of Jeffrey Hinton uh, speaking and, and Jeffrey Hinton's an academic, uh, British academic who's been at the University of Toronto for a long time and uh, an, a pioneer in, in particular AI technologies, uh, machine learning and, mm -hmm. and the, the, the technology of neural networks. This turned out to be, you know, very, very important, and, and it's sort of the foundation level of some of the current, uh, you know, most most um, uh, talked about technologies in artificial intelligence, large language models. And you know, he was talking, um, he was talking about his concerns about uh, uh, existential threat, and one of the ways in which he he expressed this concern was that he had for a long time believed that machines um, wouldn't uh, would take a long time to become as intelligent as humans um, and he now believes that we already have machines that are as intelligent and in some cases already showing signs of becoming more intelligent right. and I found myself wondering you know what is what is the definition of intelligence that we're using here, right? And again, the contrast between intelligence and wisdom, because surely what he does not mean is that we are uh, creating machines that are wise in the sense, for example, that we believe elders to be wise, not just in indigenous cultures, but in all kinds of cultures. Um, that's clearly not the kind of intelligence he means. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it's a, it's a, um, a, an area of work, which is to say AI, in which, again, a dominant cultural belief about in, intelligence, about what makes certain kinds of intelligence superior to mm -hmm. others, and yeah. how we know, and mm -hmm. um, and there's a there's a dark history um, in in the bedrock concepts of those of those ideas of intelligence. Um, and you know, at the very least, um, I think I, I think they leave a lot out, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you know, as much as we may worry uh, about all kinds of scenarios about runaway uh, machines, which yes. personally, yeah. personally is not my worry. Mm -hmm. my worry. My worry is is the kinds of things that may happen when humans do the things that they often do when they create powerful new machines, um, which is to use them to treat other people very badly. Yes. Uh, and sometimes intentionally and lots of times unintentionally, but still with great consequence, right? I mean, we've just been watching uh, testimony from a group of CEOs um, in the US political system um, about um, you know, their, the role of their companies and their companies' products in mm -hmm. creating, you know, real uh, social harm, uh, right. a form of mental health um, harm and, um, and, and, and various other ways in which uh, their, the unintended tech uh, consequences mm -hmm. of their technologies and products has led to the exploitation of children in a variety of ways. And again, um, you know, we we've so long had this this idea of, hey, you know, how things how things are used are not really the responsibility of the maker of those things. Yeah. Um, that's a that's a belief that we're trying to change. I think it may be changing faster in healthcare than it is in in technology of other kinds. Um, but 
you know, in interesting parallels, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, you know, when you create something, there is there is the potential for harm. Um, but I don't know if this this is something I, I believe that if you if you design something for the most marginalized, it often ends up benefiting the majority of people mm -hmm. because you've started with that. Um, I think you've started with maybe all the possibilities mm -hmm. that you need to correct for, or you know, uh, um, that's and and when. Um, I work with my colleague in health equity and we're talking, this is a message we, when we're doing talks at, in different areas of the hospital, that is something we always try to, to do. I mean, I even look back all the way um, when they were installing ramps at the banks for persons who, who yep. um, you know, were in wheelchairs. It ended up it ended up benefiting everybody because as the population grew older, they needed, right. they couldn't right. climb the stairs, right? So um, so that is, I, I feel is when you take diversity in the, into account, it's an asset because eventually you end up with something that is future-proofed or long-lasting or that can, that can benefit you know, um, the majority of people. Um, and it, it, it gives you a broad perspective to start with, um, you know, yeah. to, to, to it, it's, it's a lens that I believe, um, more people should take into account when they're considering things because, you know, you may start off with the dominant culture and you design something, but then, you know, as we know, there's so much uncertainty in the world. Eventually, it's probably going to cost you more to go and redesign it, you know, to, to meet the needs of everyone. So, um, you know, as you were talking about that and, you know, I've been I've been. I've been sort of fascinated to see, um, you know, how some of these lang large language models are being developed um and and there is one person in particular and i think i told you about him before um G gianni giacomelli mm -hmm. like he has some mm -hmm. really interesting ideas on how to you know with regard to ai and how to mitigate bias by um uh introducing a lens beforehand you know um uh and i i just find it really fascinating um and and how the, the models are trained, et cetera. I, I, think, I think diversity has to be at the forefront of, of um, in, the de in the development or yeah. AI tools. Yeah. 100%. And I, I think, you know, the good news is we're starting to see uh, more, more diversity, um, uh, especially, um, you know, not necessarily, I mean, it's in, in some cases within, some of the larger uh, commercial enterprises, but also we're starting to see um, uh, new kinds of entrepreneurialism in the ecosystem mm -hmm. um, that uh, that has, I think, re real promise um, to bring um, different models and different model thinking yes. into 
do into the de development of the technology. And so I think it's I think it's also important, um, you know, for people to remember that we're early in this, um, but it's moving fast. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, I think it's really important that um, that we take every opportunity to uh, to to see that as we're developing these powerful new technologies, um, we are uh, using the most uh, uh, human diversity uh, to the greatest advantage of all. To your point, yes. Um, yes. The more we pay attention not only to the ways in which we're alike, but the ways we're different, the richer kind of uh I, I think the richer the power of the technology will be um and i think um i think what we want um is not just efficient technology uh but technology especially if it's intelligent technology technology with whom uh with whom you hear me say that uh we can have uh and perhaps learn to make real relationships um i also think you know one of the things that I've certainly been paying attention to is partly through the work that's being done um, both in in the natural world and in climate, uh, but also um, paying paying new kind of attention to animal intelligence. That we're becoming more aware, in a way, with our encounter with AI, that we are and always have been surrounded by different kinds of intelligence and again in a hopeful way i think um as may maybe some of this journey has an opportunity to teach us all to think in you know even much broader than than merely human terms yes. uh, about what uh about what intelligence is how many kinds there might be um what kinds of relationship we might be able to have, what we might learn from our engagement from intelligence, very much unlike our own, um, and get uh, out of the trap, I think, which has dominated a lot of AI thinking and development of just making superpowered versions of ourselves. Um, I think that's probably not the richest vein um, that we can be exploring. Yeah, um, you know, as, as you were talking about that, I think um, one of our uh, mutual, well, one of our mutual colleagues, um, Sam Ladner, she had posted something recently yeah. on um, on LinkedIn, and she was talking about the collapse of the model because the, the model was being trained on uh you know that um content that was generated from the model so right. it was sort of like you know fed garbage and and how it was um i think she had used the example of uh dali um you right. know and and the picture and how they, it was creating hallucinations right i think that's you know um using it sort of irresponsibly in a way um uh, i don't know maybe i'm wrong but in terms of um it also highlights the need for you know some sort of oversight on 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 how how these tools are being developed and further trained and you know because because we can definitely go down the wrong path so i think um i think in term paying attention to things like bias and um what's being fed into it and um you know ai for for good for public good yep. i think like uh, that needs to be a factor in in the continued development of these tools um 
and and what i what i do like about the 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 person i was telling you about was the augmented collective intelligence um yep. which is which is like a human input and 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 into the generative ai um and and then you know the the sort of uh, tools that you can and you can use uh, which i feel is a, a bit more responsible yeah yeah well i mean i really appreciate um, having been able to hear about how you've been able to use uh, some of the tools that you developed over over your training um, to bring in uh, more diversity in the context in which you're working so that uh, mm -hmm. we're delivering better health care. Yes. Um, and I think if we pay the same kind of attention in the development of AI, um, we may just develop healthier technology Absolutely. Um, that, yeah. that better serves us all. Yeah. So listen, great, great to talk to you today. Thanks so much for the time. Um, and I'll look forward to, uh, to our next in-person meeting sometime soon. Thanks, Michael. It was, it was fun talking with you. Take you care. Too. Take care.